Greetings, and welcome back to the Western Reviews Podcast, where reviews come from the spooky Western Hemisphere. Yeah, that that joke was a dud. Oh, and if you are new to the podcast, then I would like to personally welcome you here to my pod world, and that I hope you enjoy today's two new movie reviews and other reviews to come. Now, joining me for this month's movie's festivities for side commentary is my buddy Jeff. Hey, that's your cue. Jeff, that's your cue. Oh, sorry. Hello, podcast world. I'm the Western Wonder sidekick. Great to see you today, buddy. Anyways, let's get on with the first movie review, where we're going to take a look at a movie that should be very recognizable to plenty. I just want to let you folks know that both movie reviews, plus other movie reviews coming later this month, are filled with nothing but spoilers, so I suggest you to check out each respective film. Only if you have time, of course. Now, with the review... Now the first movie being reviewed in this episode is Beetlejuice. 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 I can't wait to break down this one. The head honcho for Beetlejuice is legendary filmmaker Tim Burton, who at the time of this film's production bagged a box office hit in Pee Wee's Big Adventure nearly two years prior. Now even though his film would have Burton involved, he was at work to relate another soon-to-be-well-known staple in his catalog, a new theatrical adaptation of the superhero comic strip Batman in which both that film and Beetlejuice shared the same lead actor. The film's screenwriters were Michael McDowell, who worked on episodes for television shows such as the 80s version of Alfred Hitchcock Presents and Tales from the Crypt, and Larry Wilson, who would go on to write the script for the 90s film adaptation for The Addams Family. The script was originally sent to Universal Studios, but Universal said, <laughs> no, this looks weird, we'll pass. Also, the script for Beetlejuice had more darker elements to it over what was finally released to the public. But more on that as we get into the pop points of the film. Now the film would eventually get picked up for production by David Jeffins' company and for distribution by Warner Brothers. It got a release for spring 1988, March to be exact. The movie did very well in the box office as well as critically making over $74 million over a $15 million budget. And only $1 million of that budget was used on the crazy good visual effects featured in this movie. With that information aside, let's move on to the story and the plot points of the film. Now from the beginning of the film, we are introduced to the two major characters in the story. The Maitland couple, consisting of Adam, played by Alec Baldwin, and Barbara, played by Gina Davis. Now the couple have plans of taking a vacation while they're constantly being annoyed by their house realtor to sell their home to a bigger family. The couple eventually heads out to run a couple of errands and on their way back home a dog is in the middle of the road. They swerve the car to avoid hitting it and end up smack dab in the middle of the river, where they ultimately end up drowning to death. Now this scene is one part of the original darker script that was pitched to studios before being toned down. The original piece was a more graphic depiction of the couple suffering as their vehicle sinks into the water. It was replaced with a simple plunk down the water while the dog watches in the background like I was looking for blood. Speaking of that dog, I wonder if that shady realtor implemented it on the road to get that house sold. Because you know, business folk can't be trusted after all. The Maitland couple eventually returns to their household. However, they're confused about the way they returned home so fast. So Adam retraces his steps only to find the outside of their home is a trippy desert filled with sandworms. Babs realizes that they were gone for two hours and Adam gets the realization that they really are dead or in the form of ghost. Well, uh, in some form or fashion. A book titled A Handbook for the Recent Deceased is immediately discovered. 
time goes on and the realtor lady finally gets a sale on the Maitland home. And the buyers are a dysfunctional family, the Dietzes based from New York. The family members include the down-to-earth yet snarky husband and father Charles, played by Jeffrey Jones, who works in real estate, the uptight wife and stepmother Delia, played by Catherine O'Hara, who works as a sculptor, and teenage daughter Lydia, played by Winona Ryder, who passionately adorns being an edgy goth gal. Or does she? Oh yeah, and Otho, an acquaintance of Delia's, who works as a decorator, tags along to take a look at the house before renovation begins, much to the disgust and shock of the Maitland couple. Charles also doesn't take kindly to Delia's renovation plans starting so soon after as one of the reasons he left New York in the first place is to simply get some peace and quiet from city living. However, his tangent doesn't get a good response from his wife. I will live with you in this hellhole, but I must express myself. If you don't let me gut out this house and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me! Now while the renovation goes down, Adam and Babs try everything in their power to scare off Deke's family, but they go unnoticed as the living can't see the dead. The couple move to the attic and lock the door, which intrigues the Deets couple and Otho. Lydia eventually finds a key, but Adam knocks it out of the lock. After her foiled attempt, a TV in the attic abruptly comes on and some strange looking ghosts in a cowboy getup that goes by the name of Beetlejuice, played by Michael Keaton, advertises himself as a buyer exorcist who can scare anyone and anything. I'll scare them real bad. The point is, folks, I'm gonna do anything to get your business. Hell, I'll possess myself if I gotta. Whoa! Yo, I got demons running all through me. All through me. Come on down here and see it. And bring a little parts down here. Hell, we got plenty of snakes and lizards for them to play with. There's no problem with that at all. I'll eat anything you want me to eat. I'll swallow anything you want me to swallow. So come on down now. Chew on a dog. With this strange fellow in consideration, the couple reads the handbook where they learned that a door can connect into another world where assistance is available. Upon entering this world, the couple can meet plenty of people who have had rather horrible fates in life. And at this point, the couple should be lucky that they at least had their skin on the right way in the afterlife because my goodness. Anyways, Adam and Baz meet up with their caseworker Juno, who's rather fed up with their cheap hunting scenarios. The woman recommends the two to work harder on getting rid of the Deets family themselves instead of utilizing Beetlejuice, but she does explain her backstory with him. He apparently was one of her assistants who went off to do his own business, but starts too much trouble and conflict to be trusted. She also explains the other way to call him is by saying his name three times, just like his commercial explained earlier. Taking the advice, the couple try to up their game on being scary. Later at night, they put up a pair of sheets on each other's head to look like a visible ghost in order to scare the Deets couple away. However, the plan backfires. Meanwhile in the other room, Lydia is trying to get some sleep but hears the spooky moaning from Adam and Baz but misinterprets it as her parents getting jiggy in the sheets. She gets up and finds the Maitlands still in sheets taking pictures of them. In the picture, she realizes that there's no visible bodies over the sheets, and well, the couples are finally busted. Lydia reveals that she's been reading that handbook for the recently deceased, and believes that as regular, happy-go-lucky people ignore the strange and unusual bunch, she considers Ghost and herself strange and unusual. The Maitlands get acquainted with Lydia and try to convince her into telling her parents how scary they are. After their meeting with her, Babs looks onto Adam's mini model of the town and finds a grave where Beetlejuice lives. After much anxiety spikes, they're zapped into the mini-world and called out the Beatles' name three times. Once he makes his ghoulish appearance upon the couple, a feeling of regret comes in mind once they get to know this creature. And what can be said about Beetlejuice? Well, he's rather straightforward in showing his crude, perverted, vulgar, and wisecracking personality. And well, I'll let his line speak for himself. No, we just want to get some people out of our house. Oh, I understand, I understand. Well, look, 
in order to do that, I'm really gonna have to get to know you guys. You know, we gotta get closer. Move in with you for a while. Get to be real pals. You know what I'm saying? And... Save that guy for later. My wife and I would like to ask you a couple of questions. Sure, 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 sure. Go ahead, shoot. Well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it! Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy! Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Terrified and interested in having him to scare the Deeks away, Adam and Baz finally give up and plan to do the scaring themselves. The coded word, just like they made it to Beetlejuice, to return back to their normal size selves and sang home three times. Perhaps a call back to the Wizard of Oz's There is no place like home quote. It's up Babs as a clicker heels three times. Obviously, Beetlejuice was not expecting them to leave so abruptly and were therefore treated to a swear word which would have made this film rated PG-13, had the rating been utilized more often back in the 80s. You bunch of losers! You're working with a professional here! As Adam and Babs get back to their scaring plans, the Dietzes have a dinner party showcasing Delia's sculpting artwork. Mid-conversation, Delia thinks about her. As the entire dinner table, except for Lydia, conducts a random hilarious dance number to Harry Belafonte's Banana Boat song. Definitely a highlight of the film. Fun fact, the scene nearly didn't make the final cut as Tim Burton thought it was too jarring and out of place, but we're all glad it remained in the final cut. The dance number ends with a bunch of shrimp bringing them down to their knees for a standing ovation and we finally see a bit of redemption from Adam and Babs' scaring tactic. Did they finally scare them away? Lydia returns back to the couple's attic to let them know that her parents and their company would like to meet them in person. In a panic, however, Adam and Babs turn down the request and Lydia sheepishly walks back downstairs to address the dinner table and letting them know that they aren't coming down. In a state of disbelief and disappointment is turned over to Delia and the business deal is soiled. In a fit of rage, the Dietzes and Otho follow Lydia up to the attic and Delia bangs on the door demanding an explanation of why the Maitlands didn't show up themselves to the dinner party. The door eventually opens after all that got off of banging, but the couple are no longer in the room. While exploring, Charles looks into Adam's model with interest and Otho discovers and takes the handbook, and everyone immediately leaves the room as no one is there. Later on, Charles is jumping with Glee about using the model for a big business deal. However, his glee is interrupted by Beetlejuice in the form of a snake coming to attack the family. Babs is able, however, to stop him by calling his name three times, but the damage is done. An upset Lydia points to the Maitland couple as the source of the incident and runs into her room in tears. Adam and Babs go to confront Beetlejuice, but in return is scathingly scolded for leaving him without making a deal. Go ahead, make my millennium. <laughs> After the back and forth exchanges, Beetlejuice ponders to himself. I'm feeling a little, uh, anxious, if you know what I mean. It's been about 600 years, after all. I wonder where a guy, an everyday Joe like myself, could find a little action. And there's a brotherless motel right down the block. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, Adam! Nice move! Adam, why did you build that? I didn't. The couple are immediately called in once again by Juno, who chastises them for a, letting Beetlejuice roam free even though a deal wasn't finalized on their end, b, being photographed as afterlife forms, c, their continued lack of strong and powerful hauntings, and d, letting Otho grab the recently deceased handbook. 
There's also this hilarious bit where a group of deceased football players who were actually based from a real accident that killed a group of players assumed that Juno was their coach. Before letting them go and try to scare the family away once again, this time Juno sticks around to watch their plan in action. The Maitland couple transform into two ghoulish, grotesque figures who are that are sure to get the job done. Meanwhile, Lydia plans to end her life abruptly and is writing a suicide letter. On her way to the attic to say goodbye to Adam and Babs, she runs into, you can guess who, Beetlejuice, chilling from a motel balcony. After describing himself as, I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Lydia inquires about Adam and Babs' whereabouts. Beetlejuice, however, won't let up with the information so soon, so he plans to strike a deal with the young lady. Only if she says his name three times. The Maitland couple return to the attic just in time before the deal is set and ultimately have second thoughts of scaring the Dee's family after consoling and speaking with Lydia. As they are conversing with each other, Charles and Otho come back up to the attic and Adam, Babs, and Lydia hide so they aren't seen. The town model Charles looked into earlier is picked up and taken downstairs so that he can conduct a business deal with his ex-box, Maxie Dean. Played by who I thought on first viewing was Raul Julia, but in actuality is Robert Goulet. Charles plans to turn the town into a paranormal-themed tourist spot and actually convinces Mr. Dean to visit him. But the boss demands proof of the living dead, so Charles attempts to convince Lydia to speak with Adam and Babs. However, Lydia doesn't budge and Otho comes in and says, I think I have a way. Which, in essence, means that he's going to use that handbook for something shady very shortly. Maxie Dean and his wife soon arrive for the business meeting, and Adam and Babs are summoned to the floor via a seance Otho learned while flipping through pages of the handbook. But, to Lydia's horror, the seance is actually an exorcism as the Maitland couple's bodies start to rot and decay. What's happening to them? I don't know. Already dead, they can't feel a thing. Not knowing what to do, Lydia runs upstairs to the attic to consult Beetlejuice on getting the couple back to their normal selves and once again, doesn't move until his name is called three times, and also that the young lass marries him to get him out of his problem. Lydia reluctantly agrees and the Maitlands are saved in time. However, Beetlejuice is serious about marrying her and therefore begins their wedding after summoning a minister. The Maitlands try everything in their power to stop the wedding, but Beetlejuice has the power to move the couple around to other areas in the home. Adam is moved to the model, and Babs is moved over to the desert where the sandworms live. Eventually, the couple are able to stop the wedding before the Beetlejuice and Lydia couple, quote unquote, kiss as a sandworm that Babs rides on eats Beetlejuice alive, or dead, or something. I know there's overkill evolved somewhere. After all of that mess with the Beetle, the Maitlands and the Dietzes manage to coexist in the same home together, and Lydia seems to be in better spirits about life as to James Moore Harry Belafonte music. Ah, and as for that rattle Beetlejuice, he's stuck in a waiting line to speak with a caseworker, and a funny moment happens when he switches his waiting ticket with a voodoo wish to get in line faster, but after the wish notices to switch up, he sprinkles dust into Beetle's head and ultimately has his head shrunk. And that's pretty much the movie, folks. So for my overall thoughts. Beetlejuice is nothing but good fun, and the central topic of death is a different take from other films. The characters all add their own spice to the story, the jokes land well, and the terrific score by Danny Elfman elevates the mood of whatever scene he plays in. Big ups to the cast, especially Michael Keaton playing the title character for only 20 minutes of screen time, and Tim Burton for using his vision head on. I highly recommend the movie if you haven't seen it, and if you have already, well, watch it again. It's definitely a staple of Halloween movie culture if there's such a thing, and if it isn't, it is now. <laughs> I'm the Western Wonder, and I want to thank my pal Jeff for taking some parts of the review along with me. Oh, and uh, stay tuned for this week's second movie review for the 1992 film 
Dracula, based off Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, both films have similar stars in it. Until then, don't forget to spread the word of this podcast to everyone you may know and stay tuned for more. Until then, au revoir.